Hey gang, welcome to StreamYard Connect. I'm Ross Brand. This is the show where we talk about all things going on with StreamYard live streaming, and we also get into different aspects of content creation and video production and how you can use the different tools such as StreamYard to produce your videos and your content, create podcasts, create all different types of audio and video content to boost your brand and your business. We're going live to Facebook Live on the StreamYard Facebook page. We're also live on Periscope on the uh, Ross Brand, iRoss Brand. Twitter account is the easiest place to find that, and we also stream to Twitch, so you can find us on the StreamYard Twitch channel. For whatever reason, we are unable to connect at the moment with the two uh, LinkedIn destinations that we go to, so uh, if you're watching somewhere else and we're planning to go over to LinkedIn, just stay where you are right now, and <laughs> we'll come to you right where you're at. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's great to have you with us. We have a terrific guest coming up. Dan Courier will be our guest. Dan just recently hosted a phenomenal conference, People of Video. It was supposed to be an in-person conference, a chance for content creators, especially video creators, to meet up and collaborate in person on the East Coast. So many of the events going on on the West Coast. But of course, because of the quarantine, couldn't do the event in person. And Dan did a masterful job regrouping and pulling it together and having an online event. And in addition to the on-demand videos that people who subscribed to bought a ticket or a pass were able to see. There were also live streamed events and those were done using StreamYard. He had a full slate of people on camera with him at the at, at one time on the uh, opening and post uh, event shows and we did our our LinkedIn panel using it as well and uh, the platform performed beautifully. We'll talk to Dan about how he used StreamYard to pull that off. And also, Dan is an expert in YouTube strategy, makes it easy for people to learn about the platform and how they can establish themselves and grow on uh, YouTube. So any questions you have about YouTube would be a perfect time to ask them in the chat. We'll be bringing Dan on in just a few minutes. And as we get into uh, the show, I'll just mention as well that I know a lot of people have questions about different features uh, with StreamYard. And of course, you can message the uh, StreamYard Facebook page for support. But also, as there's more features coming out that you may be interested in learning about, um, don't forget that StreamYard here we go. StreamYard has its own YouTube channel where not only can you watch the town hall every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, but you can also get tips and watch tutorials on how to use the different features and how to multi-stream. And you can find that youtube.com slash StreamYard. And more recently, I've started doing a lot of tutorials. I was doing some conversations with people about StreamYard, but now I'm starting to do tutorials as well on my channel, which is Livestream Universe. And so there's a lot of options out there. If you'd prefer to see somebody walk you through the steps of setting up, or you prefer them to demonstrate some tips that you need to succeed with live video, there are options out there to learn more about StreamYard. And of course, the StreamYard community group as well is a great place to ask questions and have conversations with other StreamYard users, learn from each other, and support each other. And that's the Facebook StreamYard community group. Just look that up and join if you haven't done so. It's it's an awesome community. And, of course, StreamYard. We have the three pillars. Anytime we talk about StreamYard, you see the co-founders. On the left is Gage Vandentop. On the right is Dan Briggs. And StreamYard's three pillars are ease of use, stability and professional looking streams and of course one of the big 
features that StreamYard has is its own native multi-streaming capability. So if you're on the basic plan, you can go to two different destinations. If you're on the pro plan, you can go to five destinations, and those include Facebook. It could be a Facebook page. It could be a Facebook group. It could be your personal profile or some uh, combination thereof. Uh, you can use as part of your five destinations. Uh, there's LinkedIn Live, there's YouTube Live, there's Periscope, which gets you on Twitter, and of course our newest channel, Twitch, where uh, you can find StreamYard's channel on Twitch as well. We are streaming on Twitch this broadcast. And if there are other platforms you'd like to stream to, most of them probably accept RTMP if they're major platforms, and you can use uh, RTMP. Basically, you get a stream key from the platform you enter it into Streamyard, and that'll enable you to connect and you can choose rtmp as one of your five destinations if you're on the pro plan you can choose it as one of your two destinations if you're on the basic plan and of course you can start live streaming for free you can get a 14-day trial of the uh plans by going to livestreamuniverse.com slash streamyard livestreamuniverse.com dot com slash streamyard and you can start streaming for free uh it's a 14-day trial of the paid features and then if you want to stay still test it out you can use the free plan for as long as you want to stream to up to 20 hours a month uh but you'll probably find you want to add some of your own branding your your own logo you might want to use overlays or backgrounds and some of the other features do a little multi-streaming. That's when you'll you'll start to think about moving to one of the other plans, the basic or the pro. So that's what's going on with StreamYard. Feels like it's been a while, perhaps because we're all mostly all confined to home. So it's uh, been two weeks as it's usually in between shows, but somehow it feels a, a little bit longer. Uh, let's get to the news. Um, and we're going to be talking YouTube in a little while with Dan Courier. Well, Pootie Pie, the biggest star in YouTube history. He's been on the platform since 2010, has over 104 million subscribers, 25 billion views. This is what we call a big channel. I mean, this is an enormous channel that he's got going. Um, and he's been very controversial. He's been in trouble and he's gotten uh, in trouble for some comments that were hateful, that were racist. And he actually took some time off from the platform, but as you may know, nothing succeeds like success. So in spite of YouTube having a, a pretty tough hammer against what it even deems as touching on controversial subjects, I guess when you have 104 million subscribers and 25 billion views, um, you get a second chance. It's important to give people a second chance and uh, because his live streams are so popular, he signed a deal now with YouTube as an exclusive live streamer. He'll be doing all his gaming, all his live streams over on YouTube. YouTube does say that there'll be no special treatment if he breaks the rules. Um, and PewDiePie says live streaming is something he's focused focusing on for 2020 and beyond. Uh, so he'll be able to partner with YouTube and be at the forefront of new product features. And that'll be special and exciting for the future. So uh, if you're a fan of PewDiePie, he's going to be on the YouTube platform where he built his brand and he built a, a massive following. If you're not a, plan, uh, a fan of him, well, you certainly have uh certainly have some cause for that as well. Uh, so. Can you believe that the Supreme Court, I mean, I, th I think the Supreme Court's probably the last place I ever thought would have any type of live streaming, right? You think of the Supreme Court, you think of an institution that's probably operated much the same way for generations. And yet, due to the quarantine, due to social distancing, the Supreme Court, in order to do its business, has had to have oral arguments presented online have been presented remotely rather than in front of the justices. And so while they're hearing the oral arguments remotely, 
they have decided to make that live audio of those oral arguments available online to the public. Uh, This story comes from NPR. I know NPR had links uh, in the story to where you could go to listen. So if you check that out on NPR, you could actually go listen, if that's your thing, to uh, different people making their arguments in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, a whole new level of transparency comes to uh, our, our nation's, one of our nation's pillars. And how about retail? Uh, of course, so many more people are ordering online. They're getting deliveries. They're maybe going to pick up from stores. They're not spending time in the stores right now in order to protect their health. And live streaming particularly in China, but even so uh, in in a lot of other countries, is picking up as a way to do business, as a way to sell, uh, almost like it's the new storefront. Um, Rather than going into a store and communicating with a salesperson there, somebody comes on screen and they're telling you what they have on their display, what they have on their shelves and showing you some of the products you might like. Uh, One of the reasons that this is taking off more now than it had in the past is in the past, it was simply about convenience. Now it's about safety as well. Uh, So there's a, a strong line of thinking that live streams about retail live streams about products and showing the inside of stores and how products work will continue even when things go back to quote unquote normal. Uh, but for right now, those type of shopping live streams, as we like to say on live stream deals, shop the show, uh, is providing entertainment in the sense of community for people who are at home. And of course that's most of us and people are enjoying watching shopping, live streams, learning about different products. And uh, as I mentioned, the high-tech retail adoption is happening faster for safety reasons than it ever did for convenience. But now that it's a fact of life, perhaps it will continue and continue to be popular. Um, Let me know in the chat, do you watch uh, retail live streams? Do you watch live streams from stores? Do you watch live streams where it's just plain selling. The person isn't necessarily going on to uh, spend 40 minutes providing value and then giving a call to action at the end, but they're really there to show off their products and services. Do you watch those kind of live streams? Who does them well? Who would you recommend checking out as an example of a live stream, a retail type of live stream, a sales type of live stream that you would say, check that out and, and learn what you can about how they're doing it. And of course, we have talked about different public figures using StreamYard to live stream. In this case, Ron Pope is a musician and he's not using StreamYard, but I still wanted to call this to everyone's attention. He's doing a show called Live and in Sweatpants Saturday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and whenever else he gets a chance. And he's providing an unfiltered look at his life and his music and to stay engaged with fans during uh, the quarantine. He had an album rollout and a tour that he both had to, uh, well, the tour he had to put on hold, the album rollout, he couldn't do it in the way albums are traditionally rolled out. So He's been using uh, live streaming to uh, build that relationship and let people know about what he's got going on, but also just sharing his life and sharing his music. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is if you're holding up to start live streaming because you think you don't have the gear or you don't have the, the background or you don't have the, you know, uh, the right set or studio This guy is as unfiltered and unpolished and, you know, it's just, he's just one camera angle, no graphics, no switching, uh, no, no logos, nothing. He just turns on his phone or his computer and that's it. And you see what you see and his fans love it. So if you have content and the ability to build relationships with people through video, you can start with whatever you have 
and you can grow in the process and you can always add different elements later. And of course, StreamYard makes it easy to go live no matter what kind of setup you have. And that's why we love using StreamYard. Again, if you're not using StreamYard, you can check it out, livestreamuniverse.com slash StreamYard. This is StreamYard Connect. I'm Ross Brand. We're here every other Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And our guest today, Dan Courier, who we'll bring in in just a second. Dan is the founder of the People of Video Conference. As we told you, it was a phenomenal conference this past weekend. He hosts the Creator Fundamentals YouTube channel. He's growing by leaps and bounds up to 60,000 subscribers. He's a YouTube certified growth expert, and he really makes it easy to learn about YouTube. He's also uh, teaches a course called Tube Jumpstart. He's a co-founder of mine with the New York City Video Mastermind and uh, a friend as well. And we're happy to welcome Dan Courier to the broadcast. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Ross. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So, I mean, what a successful event it turned out to be for people of video after really the whole motivation behind a lot of what what we were doing was to get people together on the East Coast. It ended up we got together virtually, and I think you had to come away with it thinking, wow, the networking was still pretty good online, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, when we originally started the idea of people of video, it was totally about making human connections. So one of the things when we were uh, forced to pivot to online was to how can we recreate that as much as possible in a virtual environment? And uh, we were able to do it with a number of different ideas that we put into play, uh, you know, including a big meetup through Zoom and also through live streams throughout the conference on StreamYard. So what made you use, uh, choose StreamYard for those live streams, both the LinkedIn panel and your, your opening and closing live streams in which you had a lot of the speakers joining in along with yourself and, and Dale Roberts, who was co-hosting with you? So I've been doing live streams on YouTube now for, for quite a while, a few years, in fact, and uh, I've always found it a bit of a struggle to bring in guests. And I knew one of the core components of having live streams with people of video was that I was going to be constantly bringing in guests. And uh, rather than trying to handle the really complex setup through OBS and live streaming uh, to YouTube and bringing in guests and, and trying to figure all that out, there's a lot of complications involved. I've been seeing so many people in my community use StreamYard uh, that it seemed like the perfect uh, opportunity to find software that was easy to use that I could integrate in a relatively short time because we spent 10 minutes or 10 months planning for a live event and then had to pivot in the last two months to get it up and running and uh, uh, make the best conference possible in a virtual event. So what did you learn from doing an event that was supposed to be in person virtually that you might say, hey, we still need to integrate certain elements maybe of live streaming, of online, of online marketing, whatever it is for the event. What did you take away that you said, we can't lose this element from, from doing things virtually? So, I mean, I, obviously, I within the virtual space, it's never going to be a complete replacement for being face-to-face -face with your fellow creators. But uh, I was absolutely thrilled with how effective we were able to bring people together. We were actually able to make those connections. We were able to leverage technology to use it in such a way that still felt human and personal. And we gave people who attended the conference a real genuine opportunity to form those human connections that they're now going to be able to carry with them into the future. And then, uh, you know, maybe extend those at the next actual in-person event to kind of take all of the people that we meet online and uh, form those, those direct connections when we're able to meet them in person. Did you think that certain types of interactions worked better for online? Like did something surprise you and you go, this worked really well online and maybe something you said, well, this really should be an in-person thing. Or do you think that there's a lot of crossover? Um, if people are thinking about doing virtual conferences that they can, you know, a lot of ways that they can pull off a virtual conference now having seen it play out in that way. 
Well, I think that live streaming is absolutely key. One of the things that we chose to do for the conference to kind of minimize the complexity uh, was to pre-record the presentations from each individual speaker. But at the same time, we recognize how important it is for attendees to have the ability to interact with speakers and get, you know, Q&A and all that. Uh, that's where StreamYard came in for us because we wanted to have regularly scheduled live streams where people could digest the content on their own schedule and then tune into the live streams to have an opportunity to ask questions and follow up and just feel like they were part of a live event throughout the weekend. So how do people stay in touch now if they're interested in uh, either learning more, if they miss the conference, um, what what's available for people who want to uh, catch the content and also stay involved in the community? Yeah, absolutely. We have a couple things that are available on People of Video. You can actually go to peopleofvideo.com uh, and that will lead you to the online platform, which is peopleofvideoonline.com. Uh, but we have replays available for resale if you want to catch the 20 plus presentations that were offered by uh, this amazing cast of uh, entrepreneurs and video experts. They're available there on their own as replays that'll get you all the content for a year. Plus, we put together a bundle that uh, gives you replays for this year replays for next year also gives you access to the POV Society, which is a networking uh, group that we're starting to support content creators with many of the same elements that they've told us multiple times were uh, an absolutely great experience during the conference. We're going to carry those throughout the year and into next year as we approach People of Video 2021. And that bundle, of course, also has a ticket to the in-person event at Albany or in Albany in uh, May of 2021. So not only do you teach growth on YouTube, but you're growing at a at really a wonderful pace because I met you, I think, 2017 in the fall. And I remember you were talking a little bit about how you had a couple different channels and you were getting into showing people YouTube. And now it's it's three years Two and a half years after that, but three years after when you started your channel, you have 60,000 subscribers on your channel. You have tons of content to help people get started. Um, talk a little bit about growing on YouTube for people who haven't really established themselves yet on the platform and they're thinking, man, this is just, maybe it's just a little too hard. Maybe I should just focus on putting my content on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, leave, leave YouTube to the, to the big boys, so to speak. Well, I think one of the biggest thing, I, I think for a lot of people, YouTube can be intimidating. Uh, a lot of the people that get the most attention are these massive channels. And it just looks like a mountain that, that, uh, uh, cannot be climbed. It's important to kind of separate, uh, yourself from what all these people who have been doing it for five, six, seven, ten 10 years are doing and really focus on what I like to call the fundamentals, which are just basic skills, the basic elements that you need to get started. You're not trying to be a superstar overnight. You're trying to get in the flow. You're trying to develop a system. You're trying to get into the habit of making videos. That's all you should really be focused on when you start on YouTube. It's just a matter of, hey, I want to make videos. Okay, how do I record a video? Am I going to edit it? How do I edit it? How do I upload to YouTube? And then how do I rinse and repeat? It's just a matter of, you know, getting down to the basic parts. And then you start to learn little pieces as you go along, rather than like, how do I become this successful YouTuber with a killer studio and perfect video and, and crisp audio and all this other stuff. So uh, I think the, you know, simplifying, which is what my goal is on my channel to simplify YouTube really means that don't overthink it. Just get down to the core of what you're trying to do. You're trying to make videos and share them with people and get that process started first. And then you learn ways to uh, share with more and more people. Okay. So people who are watching the show are more likely right now to be focused on live streaming. Um, they're probably going to Facebook Live. Maybe they're going to Periscope or LinkedIn Live. But I think a lot of people start out with Facebook Live, and that's not a, a, a bad place to start. Is it good to live stream to YouTube when you're just starting out or growing, or will it do more damage than good to your channel and your confidence if you start live streaming to YouTube right out of the box? I think so... I it, it mindset definitely plays a very big uh, key in that and how, <laughs> how it treats you. 
Um, depend your audience is going to dictate exactly how effective live streaming is. Uh, if you have a really strong community, live streaming simply makes you available and allows you to interact with your community. In terms of you know how that's going to uh, tear at your emotions if you go live for the first time and nobody shows up. One of the things I did when I first started live streaming on YouTube because YouTube has a lot of long form content and you know standard pre recorded videos is I would essentially map out a video topic and then I would just share it live. That way mm. you have content to cover. You can have your beginning, your middle and your end. You work through the content as if you were recording it for a video. And if nobody shows up, you still have someone, uh, you know, you're still presenting to the people who are watching the videos. And the cool thing about YouTube is if people happen to show up during the live stream, then you can interact with them after you've covered your material. And if nobody does, you just go into YouTube, you trim off all of the dead air before or after, and you have a video that people can find that's searchable, that can show up in places, uh, and you're still able to deliver content and not waste that session. Now, there are some people who do live streams, but they live stream to an unlisted link and they hand that link out on social and everywhere if they're trying to get the public in or they just send it to their subscribers, to their email list, however they choose to do that. Uh, and they do that because they know that they're not going to get while they're growing, while they're in their early stages, they're not going to get a lot of people. They're afraid that it's going to hurt them in the algorithm. And so their idea is to stream it to unlisted and then download it, edit it into a shorter video or just download it and re-upload it as a totally new video with, uh, you know, the right the right tags and the right title and, and thumbnail. What do you think of that strategy? Does that, does that help people who are wanting to experience being live on YouTube and engage their community, but feel like it's going to hurt them, their, their channel overall going live? I have, I have definitely seen people who believe that, uh, having, a long live stream that has a relatively short average view duration or a small percentage uh, do believe that it will have some negative impact on their channel. Personally, I haven't discovered that. I've had stretches where I've done live streams once a week and, and times when I haven't. In terms of it affecting other content, I've never really seen evidence of that. Um, and it's really up to you about, you know, I don't see a lot of uh, um, overlap between how good a live stream does compared to how YouTube is going to treat your pre-recorded content. Now it may be different. I can only speak for the, the niche that I'm in and the people that I've worked with. Uh, but I haven't really seen it be a detriment. Some people will do a public live stream to bring in any potentially mm -hmm. new people who might have or find you out there. And then you can always unlist it after the fact, if you don't want it in your, uh, you know, your list of uh, your library of content, or you don't want it to show up in search. Right, right. And so uh, the idea that having a, say, poor performing video in the algorithm is going to hurt your channel is probably a little overblown then because it's videos that perform well that feed into other videos that have the potential to f perform well. And that's how you get a positive cycle going. I, I, I assume, but I'm, I, might, I might be wrong on this, that having a poor performing video here or there because you experimented or you did something you enjoyed doing isn't, isn't necessarily going to hurt your channel too much. Is that a fair conclusion? Or would you say only put stuff that you know are going to really, are going to really get some engagement, get some, uh, some velocity on the, on the platform? Here's what I can tell you. I've certainly had more than my fair share of videos that have absolutely bombed and I've never removed any of them from my channel. Right. So depending on, you know, I, if, if somebody can discover some, you know, minute uh, percentage improvement by doing something like that. But uh, for the most part, each video and topic and the way your audience responds to those videos are there. It's, it's very, uh, um, isolated in terms of they're reacting to that video YouTube is responding to how the audience reacted to that video, and it's going to choose whether or not to share it with people based on that video. Um, you know, so the idea that if you put out a couple videos and they don't do well, and then you put out an amazing video that everybody wants to watch that it's not going to do well. Um, I don't really think you have to worry about that uh, too much. Uh, there is something to be said, Mr. Beast. I think I said it recently. Obviously, if you put out a really strong video and everybody loved it, 
they're much more likely to jump on your next video, no matter what it is, because they're just dying to get more of you. Um, but aside from that, I don't know that there is a, you know, a systematic correlation where, where, where that might be the case. We're talking with Dan Courier. His YouTube channel is Creator Fundamentals. He's also the founder of People of Video. And we're talking about how to start and grow your YouTube channel and a little bit about YouTube strategy because there's a, an awful lot to it. And I know I've, you know, been on YouTube for a while, but each each time I learn something, I, I my eyes open and I'm like, Oh, now I think I'm starting to get it. And then I learned something else and I go, nah, I didn't really get it before, but now I'm <laughs> starting to get it. Uh, that never stops. It never <laughs> stops. <laughs> so uh, if you've been, if your newsfeed is anything like my newsfeed on Facebook, there's a lot of discussion over search versus suggested videos is it better yeah. to target for smaller channels search meaning you spend your time seoing your title and your tags and your description so that you can be found for people looking for your topic or is it better to target suggested which means there's a video of a similar topic that's uh, got a lot of views and you can get suggested as the next video after that. Which is the better strategy on that? Because the, the debate is fairly fierce online right now. It is. It is. And, and I feel partly responsible for that, for, for <laughs> a, a post that I shared. Uh, I am I am definitely team search and uh, I would never discredit or suggest that suggested video is not an insanely powerful way to uh, get a lot of uh, attention in a short amount of time. What I will say is this, and especially in my channel and my focus on people who are just joining the platform, the idea that somebody is just going to step into a suggested video or know exactly all of the ways, you know, because you'll... Every video that I've ever watched from every amazing person who is highly successful in it um, has failed to describe it in such a way that I could say, okay, you just do this, this, and this, and it happens. It's all about make great content that people respond to in a very passionate way. And then, uh, you know, YouTube will see that and they'll continue to share it with people. And if they continue to respond in a passionate way, then it's going to continue to expand its circles uh, and more and more people are going to see it. Very easy to say, very difficult to pull off. So the reason that I appreciate search, especially for newer creators, is the idea that you can implement the process of learning how to make a video, learning how to decide on your topic using, uh, you know, SEO or, you know, research for your title as a way to think about the process in systematic steps. Plus, it's much easier to rank a video in search. And one of the biggest reasons people fail on YouTube is because they give up, you know, before the magic happens, they get frustrated because they see nothing. A lot of people who try to target search or suggested can end up with like 15 videos with three views each. With search, you have a much better option to know what people are looking for, not trying to figure out what you think they'll like. And that allows you to target specific things you already know there's an audience for, and you get to see that momentum creep up a little more regularly than you might if you come out of the gate trying to land a suggested video. So even if you target search and you don't do well right away, that if you did a good job with your title and your tags and your description. And maybe I'm saying tags too much because there's some thought that tags don't matter all that much anymore. And I can ask you that as the next question, as soon as I finish this thought, which is that if you target search that, and you do it fairly well, that doesn't just work for you in the short term or based on what other people do or based on the luck of the algorithm you can at least be found by people who are looking for that type of content forever, basically. Right. And, and if, you know, you're a small business or you're measuring success in, you know, conversions and dollars earned, not, you know, necessarily subscribers and views, then I would say it's always the smarter thing to target search because the person who might hire you is coming to search for how do you do X, Y, Z. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and the, the other thing that you can do with search is basically segment it based on how big your channel is right now. 
Uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, my niche, for example, a lot of really, really big channels like to target uh, how to get more views on YouTube. That's a really highly uh, competitive search term. But if you're looking for how to get more views in 2020, for example, you're trying to isolate a smaller percentage of that audience and right. target it. And that's the same for, you know, any niche. It's like how to bake a cake is going to be really competitive, but how to bake a cake in a microwave on Tuesday. Maybe that's a search <laughs> term that people are looking for. And it's a much smaller audience and it's much easier for you to get your video shown to people. It's not going to be a ton of people, but you're going to be able to see momentum. And I personally feel that uh, having a little support on the mental side of things is going to be the difference for, for a lot of YouTubers to actually stick with it and continue moving forward. When you have just this mighty goal and it's miles away, it's really easy to get discouraged and give up. Having those incremental wins, uh, I think, are really powerful and uh, uh, can help you get to where you want to go. I had a really good follow-up question before, and I don't remember what it was. Do you remember what I wanted to ask you based on your previous answer? <laughs> you know, I did until you asked me what it was, and now it's gone. <laughs> I bet you the chat knows, yeah. So uh, let's bring in this question from Tony Fitz. It's probably the, the number one question people ask you or one of the top ones. What would you recommend is the best way to get YouTube subscribers? I think the best way to get YouTube subscribers is not to try to get YouTube subscribers. Mm -hmm. I think if you focus on improving your content, being focused on a topic uh, as much as possible when you start out, uh, if you want to do a bunch of different things, I think focusing in the beginning allows you to build an audience where people have an idea of what type of content they can expect from you. As you become more known, you become more of a, you know, there's some personal brand aspects where they just know you and it gives you a little leeway to maybe spread your wings a little bit and cover some adjacent type material. Uh, but I think being focused on a particular topic constantly in, uh, striving to improve your skills uh, in delivering value to people on that topic, uh, subscribers are just a natural byproduct because somebody is going to not only subscribe, uh, but they are going to stay subscribed because uh, your subsequent videos are still delivering the value that they signed up for in the first place. Whereas a lot of people don't see growth, what they're actually seeing is, you know, they'll gain three subscribers and lose three subscribers because they're all over the place. But if you continually to deliver what it is those people are looking for, you're going to keep the ones you have, plus you'll gain new ones and you start to see that momentum and your channel starts to grow. I like to tell people, focus on making 100 videos videos, improve a little with each video. And, uh, um, that'll get you much farther than trying to, you know, focus on your subscriber number. All right. I remembered the question. Thank you, Tony Fitz for that. <laughs> helping, helping Phil for a second while I get my mind back. All right. So when people talk about SEO, they talk about optimizing, they talk right. about three <laughs> areas, your thumbnail, your title, and your description. They don't talk about tags as much as they used to and some people right. think tags hardly matter what what do you think about tags so here's the thing one of the biggest arguments i always hear against seo they'll be like don't spend hours on seo i don't spend hours on seo i use tools like tubebuddy and uh morning fame that allows me to do keyword research in 10 minutes so uh, i definitely continue i will I will always use keywords to support my title until YouTube takes the box away and they're getting close because they've <laughs> hit it now on you. The new workflow, uh, it's really obscure to go find the, the uh, tags uh, area to put them in. Um, but the, the, ob the idea behind that, that search is, is figuring out the keyword phrase for your title. That's super important. If you're going to target search, you want to know what that actual phrase is that are people that people are searching on. And just to give you a sense of where to target your, your, your energy. And the other thing on that is don't make a video and then try to figure out what to title it, figure out what you're going to make a video about, figure out your title, your keyword phrase that the entire video is going to be focused on, and then record the video to support that title. Is it important to mention the keywords in the video or does it only matter what the text supporting the video says? So the uh, YouTube is smart enough to know everything that's said in your video. So if you say, you know, this is how to bake a cake and your entire video just talks about, you know, changing the oil in your car, there's obviously <laughs> going to be a disconnect there. So yeah, I think naturally if you, if you start with your keyword phrase and then you build the video to support it, 
then you'll naturally be talking about the same topic. Um, I don't know that you want to talk artificially in a sense where you're just trying to, you know, keyword bomb your, <laughs> your script. But um, I just think it's an, if you, if you kind of reverse engineer it like that, if you start with your title and then you make the content to support the title, then it's kind of hard not to talk about the relevant uh, keyword phrases in your video. Cause that's exactly what you're making the video about. Uh, one of the things that I guess I see discussed a lot as well is, should you just start your content or should you start with a teaser? Do you include a, a brief visual branding little montage or opening sounder? Uh, do you establish your authority by talking about who you are? Do you ask people to subscribe and hit the bell in the beginning or are you better off doing that for the people who stay to the end or do it both times? What, where do you come down on, on that discussion, that debate? All right. So the cold, hard truth, if somebody watches one of your videos for the first time, they don't care who you are. They don't care about your brand. They care about what you're going to provide to them. So it's right. very important when you first start the video that you're reassuring them that they clicked on the right video, that what they saw in your thumbnail and your title is going to be covered in the content. You really want to have that hook in the beginning. For me, it's just a matter of restating exactly what I'm going to be covering in the video. If I tell you on the thumbnail and the title, it's about how to get more subscribers. I'm going to reiterate that in the first couple seconds. Right. Um, in terms of your branding, very short, very quick, identify who you are and what you're about, but don't have, you know, a two minute montage of all the things you've taken pictures of or, or whatever the case may be. Now that's going to vary based on your audience. And you can look at like uh, average view duration to see if, Hey, every time I show people my, you know, my little animated clip here, they're leaving the video. Um, so you can tweak that. But I would say when you're starting out, if you have that at all, it's very short, very sweet, and it is by no means the priority for making your content. So if you don't have one, uh, you can still be highly effective with that. It's just you know one of those things to help people remember where they got that information from. Now, I've never been comfortable with uh, – I'm okay with like, okay, say a line about yourself, but I've never been comfortable with asking people to subscribe or ring the bell. Uh, I finally got around to doing it a little bit by doing an end card. So I'm, I'm taking steps in that direction. Uh, I just, I don't know. Uh, but I think there are people who insist that it works and it should be in every video or you should have a graphic or you should have a combination of ways of doing it. Um, if I was your client, would you say, get that in there already and ask at some point in, in each video? I, I don't think it hurts to ask. I think you just need to do it in a, uh, an unobtrusive way. You don't want it to be like, uh, obviously the, the big focus and you want to deliver some type of value before you ask for anything. Um, some people do that subtly with just an icon that pops up. Um, I try to phrase the, the call to action in, in a way that, Hey, if this video, uh, you know, delivers the value that you're looking for click the button and the belt. So you make sure you get more of it and you know, when more of it comes out, um, you know, so I think it, it, it's another thing that can kind of vary. That's probably one of those topics that could, that could have a, a epic discussion like search versus suggested, because uh, I've heard from really big channels that said they've done testing where they, they don't see an, a, uh, a big change, but I've always done it. And I certainly know, um, you know, other channels that have you know, like asked why the subscriber conversion is so high. Maybe it's that. I don't know. <laughs> but right, uh, right. Uh, I, yeah, it's something that I've always included and I don't have any plans to to remove it because I haven't seen people certainly aren't getting to my my subscribe request and leaving the video. We're talking with Dan Courier. His channel is Creator Fundamentals. Find him on YouTube and subscribe to learn all about how to grow your YouTube channel. Also, great to see Dana Benz in the comments. She's going to be starting a new show tomorrow for StreamYard members of the StreamYard community group. She's going to be interviewing StreamYard users, so check that out. Check out the group. Find out when that show will be taking place. And Dana, if you have any more information or you want to throw a link in the chat or anything, please feel free to do so. Uh, Gord Eisman is the man to see about Camtasia and also has a, a good YouTube channel where he offers all different kinds of video editing, video production tips, and live streams. He asked Dan, what defines a clickbait thumbnail to you and where is the line crossed? 
I think a clickbait thumbnail is one that where your video doesn't deliver on what it is uh, suggesting. Now you can be creative with that and you can kind of look at it from different angles. Obviously the goal of your thumbnail is to get people into the video. Now, again, there's a number of different things you could put on your thumbnail that have zero to do with your content, but may get people to dive into your video. And you wanna make sure that you're not just showing them something, um, you know, that that's very attractive, but not related. Uh, so you really need to uh, deliver on that. So th like I said, there's creative ways to do that. Um, and you just kind of have to experiment with it. But the, the bottom line is, is, is somebody going to watch this video and get to the end and say, this had nothing to do with the thumbnail. That's what you want to avoid. Uh, you know, if they, you, whatever the case, you got people like, you know, Mr. Beast who has outrageous thumbnails, but he's one of the few people that actually recreates the outrageous in real life. Um, but you know, if you threw out uh, a Mr. Beast thumbnail with like, you know, whatever it is, 10 million Orbeez in a swimming pool and your video doesn't have a pool or Orbeez in it, then obviously you're, you're, you know, going down the path of, uh, of clickbait. Should your keywords be on the thumbnail? Or, or should it just be whatever words that will get people to understand what the topic is? Because obviously you're not putting your whole title if it's longer than, you know, a few words. You're not going to put that all on a, on a thumbnail. So when you choose three or four words, should those be your keywords or should those be whatever related to that subject to what you talk about will help people identify and decide if that's for them or not? I would say with words on your thumbnails, less is more. Mm -hmm. And I would only put thumbnail or word like for me, most of my videos are talking head. So mm -hmm. it's hard to illustrate, you know, how <laughs> uh, some of these topics without putting some level of words on there to kind of put people in the right direction. But right. Uh, I would say the more you're able to describe what's going on in a visual, the better. Um, and I would also just generally say when you start putting a lot of words on there, they get really small. They're not easy to read on mobile and you're probably getting half or more of your audience on a mobile device. So you have to be aware of, you know, readability and whether the words you're putting on the thumbnail are uh, adding to the interest in that thumbnail. Definitely don't want to recreate your title. The title's always going to appear right next to the thumbnail and you really want your thumbnail and your title to work as a team, not be a reproduction of each other. Well, we got a lot of great questions coming in. Um, I want to get to this one because it's a hot topic in the world of live streaming. And that is, do you start right away when you hit that go live button? Do you wait a little bit for people to show up? Uh, Justin, I'll ask it just the way Justin Pierce asks it here. He says, should we wait a minute to start? or just go. Some of my viewers complain if I start right away, maybe you could suggest a countdown timer. What are your thoughts about how soon to start or after you hit that go live button? So when I go live on YouTube, for example, uh, you have a, you have it pre-recorded or pre-scheduled. So there's a waiting room, there's people in chat. Uh, a lot of times people will show up before the scheduled start time. I always go live five minutes before my scheduled start time to uh, make sure everything works for one. Uh, plus it just gives you that little time in the beginning to, to do whatever. Maybe it's interact with the people who, you know, showed up nice and early and supported your live stream. Um, but I found that it's just a good, a, a good buffer. So, uh, I will usually go live five minutes before. Uh, but in terms of, it, I think when you actually start, like if you have pre scripted, uh, content, um, you can really do that whenever. I don't know. I don't do a lot of live streaming direct to Facebook, so I don't know if they allow you to trim the front end off of it like I can do on YouTube. You but can now. Yeah. So in that case, it doesn't really matter because you can come in and say, hey, we're going to chat. We're going to talk to the chat here for five minutes, and then we're going to kick into the content. So I'm not going to be able to answer questions during that time, uh, just so that way you have a nice, clean segment in the middle that you can trim out if you want to repurpose it or just you know display it as the, the regular video. But um, again, I think it just has to do with your audience. When I go live, even when it's five minutes, as soon as I'm live, I do my, my uh, little uh, intro. So. So you do that, and then you you write on the time it was supposed to start. You get right into the material, and then you can lop off the five the five minute pre show, so to speak. And right. the people who watch it on demand just start right with the content, and they don't have to wait around. So it's you're optimizing yep. it for for everybody included, so to speak. 
Right, right. And you give people time to show up by starting it early, right? Nobody's ever mad yes. if you start early. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and like, you know, notifications and things don't necessarily get out all that quick. And what I'll usually see, I'll see like the diehards that'll show up, you know, way before, sometimes even before I go live and they'll be in the chat. Uh, and then you get like an influx at the actual scheduled time. So uh, it's just a way to, to kind of get the notifications out there and give people time to get there by the start time. Gord has another question. He says, Dan, my channel is growing way faster than ever. I just posted my first video for, in my comeback in a year. Do you think the pandemic is a big contributing factor? What else might be in play? So I definitely think, I mean, it's undeniable that you, uh, for lack of a better term, have a very captive audience right now. There are people with a lot more time on their hands uh, that are spending that time in their homes looking for things to do YouTube. I mean, depending on the type of content, you know, it, it's, it, it's that coupled with the idea that for, for Gord and the Camtasia stuff that he does, he's teaching real skills that people can use. You know, maybe there are, are a much higher, uh, you know, percentage of people now that are saying, Hey, this kind of caught me by surprise. I'd like to develop my skills, be an online entrepreneur, learn the skills to be able to make my own content, reach my own audience and kind of recession proof myself if this ever happens again. So I think there's a couple different things at play that can, that really benefit us as uh, people who are out there teaching people new skills that they can monetize and uh, potentially have either a secondary income or, you know, restructure the way they make money. Uh, that's a little more, um, you know, a little more protection in the future. So if you're seeing more views and more subscribers right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that your content's better than ever. It means that there's more people available to watch it and subscribe. It, it, <laughs> and that it, isn't a, that isn't relating to Gord. I'm saying in general, I actually, right? Because I, yeah. I think you know Gord is the king of Camtasia, and he he put that out in time for a release, and it was like the definitive release video. So of course it's going to do well, and he's right. he's established himself that way, but. I hear from other people who are, you know, smaller channels and growing a little bit. And now all of a sudden they they've seen some some spike in their views and in their membership or their, their subscribers. And I'm wondering, have they figured it out in their content or is it more that, you know, like you said, there's a captive audience and, you know, there's just more people to watch video right now than ever before during the day. Yeah, and you can determine that by looking at your analytics and determining where that uh, where that traffic is coming from. Obviously, in Gord's case, Gord just released a, his first video in a long time, so all the people that uh, have watched Gord's content, uh, you know, over the years, are you know eager to see something new from him. So uh, probably a much higher percentage are going to tune in. Plus, I, I'm not familiar with the specific topic, but it was really on point and really to the heart of what his content is about. That's also going to do uh, you know uh, very strongly on his channel as well. What I would also look like if it was a client, I would look at, okay, where's that traffic coming from? Where are the new subscribers coming from? Is it just from that new video? Or is he seeing an influx across his content because there's more available audience? All those things you can kind of iron out when you look at the behind the scenes and see what's really drawing that additional attention. Wow, what a fast-paced, fabulous hour. Thank you so much, Dan. It's peopleofvideoonline.com. You can get the replays. You can join uh, the monthly calls and, and stay in touch networking wise. You can, uh, go ahead and buy the package for next year's conference and get the replays of this year with it. A lot of stuff going on. And of course you can check out, uh, Dan's channel at, uh, creator fundamentals, creator fundamentals, youtube.com slash creator fundamentals. Before we let you go, what's coming up next? Do you have an, a, a video, a live stream planned for tonight or something else coming up soon? Uh, for me, it is uh, a couple different projects on the creator fundamental side, also planning for people of video 2021. Uh, I've already begun that process and uh, we're going to be very eager to get that in-person uh, opportunity to, to get everybody here in Albany, New York. So I'm excited for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll continue to put out content on YouTube or on creator fundamentals. It simplifies YouTube and help people uh, to grow their brands and, uh, uh, and businesses on the platform. Thanks so much, Dan. It's great having you on the show. Thanks for having me, Ross.